Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. This is the MLB Extras Mets podcast. Tim McMaster here along with our Mets reporter Anthony DeComo. About a week to go until pitchers and catchers report. We are going to do the final of our position previews on the podcast this week as we take a look at the Mets outfield possibilities heading into 2019. Before we get to that though, while pitchers and catchers officially report to Port St. Lucie next week, They've already started to arrive, including Noah Syndergaard, who is already there this week and has already talked to the camera a little bit. Let's hear from Noah, Anthony, before we get into the outfield stuff. He sounds super excited to be back and ready to go for this Mets team. Here's Thor. I couldn't be more pumped to be down in Port St. Lucie right now and get things started. Um, I mean, it's just a great feeling. Um, seeing just a, a few of my brothers around. Um, I can't wait for the, the new batch to come in and, and meet those guys and and start meshing with them because uh, I think uh, we really made some serious acquisitions this offseason, and uh, these guys can really play some ball. So I think uh, one thing I want to advocate coming into spring training and coming into this season is that we're a damn good baseball team. Um, first and foremost, just the, the season that Jake had um, was something for the record books. Um, it was uh, spectacular to witness. Um, Wheeler coming off a tremendous year. Um, I just wish that we, he could have avoided injury earlier in his career so we could see what um, what he was capable of this that last uh, half of the season um, that was great to, to be a witness of and and then guys uh, like Jason um, great uh, great veteran leadership um, from an older guy um, and uh, and Stephen as well and I just uh, I'm really looking forward to get the ball rolling here and what about you is there anything you're looking to build upon down here or is it just more like fine-tuning and getting ready for 2019 um, right now it's just all about kind of getting the rust off from uh, Basically, just everything from the off season, um, get back to the feel of things and, and just get back into the baseball groove. So plenty of optimism from Syndergaard, who seems thrilled with what the team has done in the offseason. Um, there is some optimism around this team right now. When you get down there to, uh, to Florida, Anthony, do you expect, at least at the beginning here of spring training, um, there to generally be some excitement around these players with the offseason the team had? No, it's, it's that time of year, right? I mean, you're going to see that with all 30 teams. Uh, but the Mets in particular, I would say, yeah, have a feeling of, of, of re-energy. Um, you know, anytime you go ahead and, 
And just having a new front office, a new GM, and then all of the splashes that he made this winter, uh, while certainly there was some segment of the fan base that maybe wanted a little bit more or maybe wanted them to go after the top guys in the market, the Bryce Harpers, the Manny Machados, the fact remains that the Mets did a lot of stuff this winter. And in so doing, you report to spring training, you know, instead of being two or three new faces, there's 12 or 13 new faces, and it does inject a little energy into a team that expects to compete. So, yeah, so while all 30 teams are, are, are going to have that feeling, and that's why spring training is great, because everyone, you know, is starting anew and feels like they could win and feels like they're on solid footing, uh, I would say the Mets uh, maybe feel a little bit extra just given everything that went on this offseason. All right, let's move on to the outfield now, and we'll start with the corners, which seems set as we head into spring training. You talk about Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo, two guys who have really solidified their spots as key pieces to this team. Uh, let's start with Conforto. Anthony, he had a career-high 28 homers last year, career-high 82 RBIs. The average was 243, though. Um, is that something that concerns the Mets? Do they care about that average? Are they just content with the power and, and production numbers? Where do they sit as far as Conforto and the overall stat line? I, th- I think people are pretty optimistic that what Michael Conforto did last year is, is not what he's going to do this year. Because if you recall, he was uh, really struggling on his coming back from his shoulder surgery the previous offseason. A lot of people felt like um, you know maybe the Mets had rushed him back or he himself had rushed back to the field and here we were in mid-May and he was sitting under 200 with that batting average. So uh, he really picked it up in the second half of the season, which is why I think the Mets feel like what he did from the all-star break on is going to be the Michael Conforto they see going forward. This is a guy who, you know, came up in 2015, like gangbusters, um, you know, a lot of high hopes. Then he did have that shoulder injury, which slowed him a little bit. Looking at his numbers right now, all-star break to the end of the year, that batting average was 273, and he hit 17 home runs over that 68-game stretch. So that's more in line with what I think the Mets expect from him, a full season of that 275-ish batting average, a real 30-homer threat if he gets going earlier this season. And, yeah, you know, this is they've got him under team control for three more seasons, and he should be entrenched in left field for all three of them. And then Brandon Nimmo on the other side in right field um, really finally got a a full season pretty much at the big league level, played 140 games last year, uh, and the numbers were were really good for Nimmo too. And he's a guy who can, in a pinch, play center field as well. We'll get to the center field position after this. But just speak to Brandon Nimmo and kind of what he's become as a big leaguer here with the Mets. Yeah, it, it seems like he's entrenched as well, and yet this time last year he didn't really have a job. Uh, last April, he was demoted to the minors, not for anything he did, because the Mets didn't really have space for him. And then, obviously, everyone knows how Brandon Nimmo ended up, uh, you know, just one of the more dynamic young offensive players in baseball and on base percentage over 400, which puts him as the Mets' obvious leadoff man heading into this season. Now, he does profile as the starting right fielder, but as you mentioned, he could play, he could wind up quite a bit in center field um, while the Mets prefer him in a corner. They don't really have an obvious everyday center fielder. They have two great defensive players in Juan Lagares, Keon Broxton, but they also have Jeff McNeil, who they want to get in the lineup. And if the Mets figure that Jeff McNeil works best at a corner, it'll probably wind up in right field, and that would push Brandon Nimmo to center. So there are some moving parts there, but for the first time in Brandon Nimmo's career, he can come into camp knowing that he has an everyday job on opening day. And that should go a long way for a guy who's still a young player, 
uh, still a lot of ways developing, now entering his age 26 season. I think the Mets are hoping he can do more of the same and, and really become one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball. You mentioned Ligaris and Broxton, and in a perfect world, they would bat from opposite sides of the plate, and you could work out some sort of platoon. That is not the case with those guys. Um, Ligaris, obviously, always battling injuries, tough to keep him in the lineup. They went out and they, I mean, they brought in Broxton, and it's not like they gave up nothing for him. So there has to be some expectations that he's going to be a part of this team. Um, so I guess spring training is really big for both of those guys. There's a situation where they're both on the big league roster, I assume. But as far as playing time goes, it's kind of weird how the team is going to end up breaking them down. Yeah, I, I would guess they'll both be on the big league roster. And there's no guarantee. I mean, the Mets could decide uh, to cut bait with one of the two. But but they didn't acquire Keon Broxton and, and, you know, to, just to cut him at the end of spring training. So there's a very good chance that both are on the roster. Uh, there's a good chance that one of the two kind of distinguishes himself in spring training and becomes the center field starter or at least the many days starter with uh, maybe some Jeff McNeil working his way into that alignment on some days, as I mentioned. But, uh, you know, Keon Broxton is an interesting player. He's got a ton of defensive uh, skills, which makes him a little bit redundant, like you said, with Juan Lagaros, who's a former gold glover himself. But Broxton's offensive upside is much greater. He's just in 2017 had a 20 home run season. Uh, you know, he's done things with the bat that Juan Lagaros has never done. So he could kind of play his way into more time that way, or he could kind of be a a right-handed bat off the bench for the Mets. Um, We're going to see how this works out. Juan Lagares has a long, long history of injuries. He's never been able to play a full season. He's never even really come particularly close. And there's uh, probably little reason to believe at this point in his career that he can do that. So Roxton gives the Mets a lot of insurance that if Lagares goes down, all of a sudden, the Mets have another player on the roster who's who's similar in skill set, who could do a lot of the same things and do a lot of them well. Uh, so, yeah, the playing time situation is going to be a little awkward uh, in spring training early in the season. But uh, things happen. Things certainly have happened a lot to Juan Lagares over his career. You mentioned McNeil, and the Mets would love him to be that super utility infield, outfield guy that can play all over the place. Uh, but he doesn't really have any experience as of yet in the outfield, or not a lot. What makes the Mets so confident that he can get it done, not just in the outfield, but in center field? Well, he played he played outfield a lot in college, especially early in his college career, uh, which gives the Mets confidence that this isn't just some wacky experiment that they're trying, that this is something that they know he can do because he's done it before. Now, he hasn't really done it lately, which I think would give everyone a little bit of pause, but the Mets are really going to drill Jeff McNeil out there in uh in spring training and see what he can do because they do want that bat in the lineup and uh you know with the addition of jed lowry in the infield that kind of pushed jeff mcneil to the point where there's just nowhere for him to play in the infield at least not on any sort of regular basis so they're going to try him a lot in the outfield i think there's a very good chance that jeff mcneil plays a lot in the outfield can he do it we'll find out i don't know uh, you know none of us have really seen him all that much out there so it, it's hard to say uh, the Mets are going to keep an open mind about center fields. Uh, I would say less because they're confident that, you know, McNeil can do it. Um, certainly they do have a little bit of confidence they can do it because he's an athletic player. Uh, he really actually, I think, surprised a lot of people in the Mets front office coaching staff with his athleticism when he came up last season. Um, but also because, you know, as we mentioned, with the way this outfield is working out, there's no obvious guy that you can point to and say, this guy has to be 
our everyday center fielder. Uh, you know, the two guys who make sense there defensively, and Lagares and Broxton, haven't really shown enough offensively throughout their careers to say that, you know, you have to pencil them in as everyday players. So uh, there's a hole there. Um, the Mets don't love Brandon Nimmo in center. They don't love Michael Conforto in center. So why not Jeff McNeil if he could take to it? Great. If not, the Mets could always put him at a corner, have Brandon Nimmo slide over to center field, and they're at least comfortable that Nimmo can play an adequate center and they'll, and they'll be okay there. So uh, there's definitely some moving parts, and a lot of it's going to depend upon what Jeff McNeil does this spring. But bottom line is the Mets do want that bat in the lineup, and, and the place it's going to have to come more often than not is probably the outfield. Then there's the veterans on minor league deals invited to spring training, which are Gregor Blanco, who's 35, Rajay Davis is 38, um, names that people know, but they're obviously towards the end of their careers. Um, I would think unless there's injuries, there's no clear path to the major league roster, uh, but these guys will be around. How does spring training work out for them? Yeah, I mean, good, you know, well-respected veterans, guys who had nice careers. And, uh, you know, I think the Mets are, A, trying to give themselves a little safety net in case someone does get hurt in spring training. Uh, B, adding a little something to that spring training clubhouse. Um but as you mentioned, there's probably not a path to everyday playing time. The Mets have the five guys that we discussed that seem to make the most sense in the outfield. And, and there doesn't seem to be room for, for Rajay Davis or for Gregor Blanco. Um, some of these guys have outs in their contracts. Some of them will become free agents if, if they don't make the team in spring training. Uh, you know, Some might say, okay, I'll go down to AAA and, and bide my time in case something happens. I'm not actually sure which of Rajay Davis or Gregor Blanco, if, if either of them do have contract situations like that. So that's something that'll play out in spring training, but it's just a little bit of depth. And the Mets have been criticized in, in years past for not signing those minor league types, those veterans with experience. So, you know, when someone gets hurt, you're not calling up, you know, the fourth guy down in AAA, you're calling up someone who's been there, done that a little bit. And, and they've, they've themselves a little bit with these signings of Davis and Blanco, regardless of whether they ever see the field in Flushing. One more question regarding the outfield, and that is Ioannis Cespedes, who won't be back until at some point in the season. Uh, when that is, continues to be a mystery, but it was truck day this week, and Brody Van Wagenen was there to see the truck off to Port St. Lucie. He was asked about Cespedes, and I was a little surprised that the enthusiasm he continues to be, he seems to be doubling down on the fact that he wants Cespedes to be back as, as a good player, saying that he expects him to get back to that greatness. And I think he even used the term MVP level once healthy. Anthony, are you surprised that they're not going the other way to try to kind of squash expectations a little bit, considering we don't know when we're going to see you in us? A little bit, but, but this has kind of been Brody Van Wagenen's MO in the short time that he's been there. Um, you know, he's doubled down on his assertion that the Mets are the favorite in the NL East. He's doubled down on saying that Peter Alonso will be the opening day first baseman if he earns it in camp. And, and he's doubled down on saying that Ioannis Cespedes will be a prime contributor for the Mets in 2018 and I, or 2019. And I, I think everyone's kind of raised their eyebrows when he said these things and said, really? Like, let's see how it plays out. Because, you know, people have seen, you know, what's gone on with Ioannis Cespedes the past couple of years. He really hasn't been on the field all that much. And coming off this pretty traumatic surgery, two heels, two heel surgeries, uh, it's hard to envision him coming back and, you know, A, coming back for a meaningful stretch of the season and B, once he does return, just jumping right back in and being the all-star caliber 30 home run style player that we've all seen in the past. So maybe Brody Van Wagenen knows something we don't. 
you know, asking around the game, talking to people in Cespedes' camp. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten the sense that anyone thinks he's going to be back before the All-Star game at best. Uh, more likely, you're probably looking at something in August. Uh, quite possibly, we don't see Cespedes at all this year. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, if Yohannes Cespedes comes back and is even 75% of what he's been in the past, that's a really good player to put in the back of the middle of your lineup. But I, I think there's a, some cautious and healthy skepticism that the Mets are going to get much out of Cespedes this year. All right, it's going to certainly be an interesting story to follow as the season unfolds, and maybe he's that great late-season addition who can give this team a spark when they're in contention down the stretch. We will see for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this pod. You can uh, find Anthony on Twitter at Anthony DeComo. I'm there at MOB underscore McMaster. All of our club podcasts are at MOB.com backslash podcast on Google Play and on Apple Podcast as well. That'll do it for the MLB Extras Mets podcast for Anthony DeComo. I'm Tim McMaster. Thank you for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.